Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, welcome back. Bailey Hancock here. Today, we have one of my gosh, former colleagues at now two different organizations and great friend, uh, Danush Kapadia. And Danush and I have known each other, gosh, for four years now. Um, We have a very funny story of our early GA days that I like to tell. Well, quite a few funny stories. We won't tell all of those on the podcast (laughs) because some are inappropriate. But um, Danush is on today because he's one of the craftiest people I know as it comes to getting new jobs that perhaps aren't actually advertised as open um, and sneaking in the back door at companies that he's just excited about and finding his way into the team. So I think Danush has a ton of great information he can share. Plus he's just a cool guy and he's my friend. So Danush, welcome to the party. Thank you so much, Bailey. This is my first podcast, so I'm very excited to to do it with you. Oh, I'm honored. I'm truly <laughs> honored. You're like one of, I think, five men, too, that will be on the podcast this whole season. So, Wow. I'm, uh, I'm pretty honored. Thank you. Should you should be honored. Don't you ever forget this. <laughs> <laughs> so, Denise is currently Vice President of Business Development for X-Plane, and I'll let him explain what the heck that is and what that means. But In the past, he's been head of BD for IDOU, which is the online learning platform for IDEO. And where he and I met was back at GA when he helped grow both the consumer side and enterprise side of General Assembly. So Danush, let's start at the beginning. What did little Danush want to be when he grew up? Oh, wow. Um, I think I wanted to be an astronaut. Yep, that sounds about right. One of, <laughs> I, I always joke, people had, like as kids, you say one of five careers you've ever heard of. Yeah. And astronaut is absolutely one of them. That was on my list too. I think it was like kind of the furthest out there. So that's probably what, what appealed to me. Literally and, and figuratively, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the whole like helmet and spacesuit and like rockets, like it's not cool about that. Right. That's, I mean, for boys, I feel like it's either fireman, garbage truck driver or astronaut. Absolutely. Yeah. And so did you go to school to be an astronaut? (laughs) Not quite. I realized I was just way more work in math than I was ready to take on, but I did go to engineering school and that's kind of where I began my career. Oh, okay. See, I didn't even know this about you. So you went off to school. You, what kind of engineering did you specialize? Yeah, so uh, I was an industrial engineer, so I went to school for industrial engineering, and um, I graduated and worked in uh, what you, I don't even know if you know about this, but I I worked in um, a world that is far, far away from here. (laughs) I used to work in the industrial equipment business in refineries and chemical plants and kind of working with big, giant pieces of machinery, Um, you know, things that you can like crawl inside of and that kind of sit in in those weird things that you see on the side of the freeway when you're driving between towns. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess I just assumed your career started when we met. I, I guess I just forgot about what could have happened before. That's pretty yeah, There was a whole career before that. What? Oh, my God. So did, when you got into that, did you find that you were super into it or was it not quite right, the, you know, the right, right fit? Yeah, I was definitely not into it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I grew up in, in Mumbai, India, and I'm, 
I, I came here as an immigrant and as an international student, um, you have just such limited options. Uh, when I graduated from school, I didn't really have the luxury of thinking about uh, what do I want to do with my life and those kinds of things. I basically had to think about um, how do I work for a company uh, that's willing to sponsor my visa so I can stay long enough to figure out those next steps. Mm. And so, you know, when most people are kind of looking at a whole pie of jobs, there's only probably a quarter of those jobs that I could even think about applying for. And so it was more of a, uh, you know, necessity driven than passion driven. Man, that's and a whole other added layer. Because usually, you know, when people talk about that first job out of college, there's always that moment of like, oh, crap, I don't like what I went to school for. Like, great, now I have to figure it out all over again, or I just need to deal with it. You had that, but you also had the pressure of having to just find a way to stay here. And so, yeah, yeah necessity based all the way. Yeah. And so I kind of... Uh picked the job at the big company that would sponsor my visa and did the thing that no other 23-year-old American wanted to do. And uh, so I worked in like the super technical niche thing uh, until I could kind of, you know, figure out my, my visa status. And, you know, it was at that point when options opened up and I could explore things like GA. Okay. So was that the jump? Did you go straight from the industrial engineering phase of your career to what happened at GA? Yeah. Uh, okay, so I, tell us that story because yeah. it was, it was, I feel like that's when I met you and that's when I was like, this Danush, he's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite the story of how I landed at GA. Um, so yeah, you know, I've been working in this field of industrial engineering and uh, I started my career as a very nuts and bolts engineer, uh, but I used to sit very close to the sales guys and they just seemed to be having all of the fun and we seemed to be doing all of the work and something just didn't feel right about that equation. And so I started, you know, talking to them, hanging out with them, bugging them to take me on kind of right along sales meetings. Uh, and I was like, oh yeah, I think I'm definitely better at dealing with people than I am dealing with machines. So I was like, I, I got to figure out how to like slowly kind of mosey over to that side of the fence. Um, and, you know, I found some, I found someone who was really experienced um, to kind of help me understand the ropes and kind of how that, how the game is played and help kind of, you know, bring me along into that world. Um, yeah, this guy was like an old school sales guy, John, he was phenomenal. Of course he, his name was John. Yeah. I mean, you know, he used to make like a million dollars a year and basically the entire executive team was his intern at some point or another, but he figured out that he was just really good at sales and that's what he wanted to do with his life. And so I was fortunate enough to find someone who could kind of help me, you know, make the, the transition slowly over time. I mean, but that's a huge, that's a huge element of transitioning into a new role or a new industry. Absolutely. Like you have to have those people to show you the ropes, to handhold you along the way and, you know, give you a peek inside their world. I mean, for you, you're lucky you found that person within the same company who is willing yeah. to take you under his wing. Some people, it comes from doing a ton of informational interviews and going to coffee with people who have the role that they want to have, who can just like, share a little bit of wisdom 
you know, with them about what does this actually look like? Because when you're on the outside, you make a lot of assumptions, right? About, oh, well, sales looks super fun. They're just hanging out all the time, yeah. which I've always known. And we'll get into <laughs> when we talk about GA. I've always known you salespeople <laughs> screwing around the whole time. <laughs> you know, when you're in it, you obviously then see like, oh, okay, there's more that goes into this than just making calls and like making deals. And Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's amazing that you had a, an internal mentor to help show you the ropes. Yeah. And then I'm happy to kind of talk about, you know, later on kind of ways in which I've talked to people and, and built relationships and, and done that on the outside as well. But it is an, a very important part of kind of helping craft your own journeys. You, you need to kind of find the people that have, you know, walked that path before and learn from them. Yeah, it's so important. I call them career collaborators. Yeah. Like, you know, who can you work with to help push you forward in your career towards things that you think you might be interested in, but don't truly know till you get in there and try. And yeah. then having, I mean, you're one of mine, absolutely. Like having people in your life who can kind of open doors for you that ordinarily you couldn't open on your own and being able to stay with those people, both people in your own scope, like the same zone as you of your career and also those people ahead of you, like John was for you. I think it's important to have both lateral, you know, mentors and connections and ones that are a bit ahead of you. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's always really important to kind of uh, pay it back as well. So oh, kind yeah, totally. of value to the people that, you know, have helped you out and then kind of pay that forward to others uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So you're starting to realize sales is your jam, which I concur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know it at the time. And I was like, okay, let me just kind of like, yeah, let me explore it. Let me go sit down with customers and kind of see how this whole game is played. And, um, and you know, most salespeople are like super cagey about their relationship with customers. And it's like really hard to convince someone to take you out into the field. And so I kind of would find the, the worst performing salespeople <laughs> and go to them and be like, hey, you really have nothing to lose. Like anything that I, I bring here is, is value add. So let me help you make your number and, yeah, that's so smart. Wait, uh, and so at this time, are you still technically an engineer for the company? Yeah, I was, I was very much of an engineer. So how are you making this happen simultaneously with your job? Yeah, so what I would do is uh, oftentimes what we would do is we would kind of put together the technical proposal and then the salesperson would go and kind of present that to the client and, um, and get them to sign off on it. This was very, very technical sales. You know, think of like, you know, if aircraft sales is like the most technical version, this was kind of on that side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So very technical stuff, um, you know, things that cost millions of dollars and if things went wrong, you know, it could cost people's lives. So high risk um, equipment. And so uh, there's always like a technical part to any deal. And then there was always the commercial part. So I would always say, hey, you know, let me kind of come with you so we can answer the technical questions right there and then. Um, and kind of move things faster rather than you kind of going and talking about things that you don't know the answer and you got to come back to the team and get the answer. And so, um, you know, kind of just providing some value and giving them a reason to let me ride along was uh, the way I kind of started to get in front of customers and, and learn how that, that game was played. Oh, that makes perfect sense. So you were able to almost find like the middle piece on the Venn diagram between the job you had and the job you wanted and yeah. start like inching towards it. Exactly. I mean, and I can imagine whoever was managing you was probably like, yeah, Danush, way to take initiative. Like this looks great. Meanwhile, you've got kind of this secret motive in the back of your mind of like, I technically want this guy's job. So I'm going to get all this on the job training 
and look good as an employee. I knew you were smart, Anish. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, like the best thing about sales is like, it is very black and white, right? You provide value, you see the results immediately, it adds to the bottom line and, you know, it's just very transparent and that's, that's kind of what I always love about sales. Yeah, very quick ROI and companies yeah. love to reward people that can provide very quick ROI. I've yeah. sadly never been on that end of the spectrum. My stuff is like, I promise there's ROI, just trust me. It's definitely nice to be able to demonstrate like tangible ROI. So yeah, so that's kind of how I started my career. I kind of started on the very technical side and slowly kind of moved my way over to you know, technical sales and sales engineering. And, um, and that kind of brought, so that was all in, in Houston, Texas. And somewhere along there, I kind of did a stint in, um, in, in Scotland, which was a ton of fun. Um, and then eventually met uh, Shaila, who's now my wife, and um, followed her to San Francisco. She was like, yeah, if you want to make this work, it's going to have to be California. You're going to have to come with me. <laughs> I'm the one that's got my shit so, together. Yeah. You just want to ride along. Yeah, smart man. <laughs> and so I showed up in San Francisco um, and, you know, I was still working in this like old school industry um, and I was doing the absurd thing of living in the heart of San Francisco and commuting out like two hours to the fringes of the Bay Area where there was, you know, an odd refinery or chemical plant. And it was just uh, a weird time in my life where I was doing this like reverse commute for hours on end and uh, at some point I kind of figured it all out and I kind of got it to autopilot and I was working you know minimal number of hours <laughs> I was definitely working less than 40 hours maybe 20 to 30 hours a week and, and you know on the surface of it all like life was great had a stable job you know great paycheck probably you know would have had that stability for a long time but I was living in San Francisco and it was kind of right when the whole startup scene was heating up and there was a bunch of people doing interesting things in kind of the shady parts of the city and the whole warehouses and whatnot. And I was like, oh, I gotta get involved with this stuff. I, I just have to, like what I'm working on is, is not really exciting. And um, you know, there was the, the whole like mobile social revolution that was starting and I was like, I gotta figure out how to get involved in, in this game. And so, you know, I started talking to people and doing what, what everyone does in San Francisco, which is, you know, do a million coffees and talk to people and kind of try to try to figure out what is interesting and where, where I could kind of see myself. But the strange thing would happen, people would take a lot of meetings because I was an engineer and engineers are, you know, highly in demand, but right. I didn't code. And so I was of no value to anybody that I was You're talking. a useless engineer. <laughs> and like useless only engineer. software engineers, right? Exactly. You're like, you do what? Machine? <laughs> no, no. I was um, like, I promise, guys. Like, I'm a real engineer. But, um, but I was also, like, talking a different language. Like, I wasn't, you know, I was speaking the Valley language. And um, I started to realize that there was something drastically wrong. Because, you know, I'd get all these meetings and then it would just kind of go nowhere. And I wasn't getting any traction. Um, so then I kind of embarked on this long, um, you know, soul searching, figure out like who I am and what I want to do journey. So at this point, I take it like you're good on the visa. You don't have to stay here yeah. just to work for a company that will sponsor it. So you're freed up to basically have those conversations exactly. with yourself finally. Exactly. And I kind of gotten my day job down where, you know, I had a bunch of time that I could spend on figuring out my next move. Which is awesome. And a lot of people don't give themselves that time. And 
I can't stress it enough. I mean, I did it for two and a half, three years by waiting tables and bartending so that I could just experiment with a bunch of things and talk to so many people like you did and, and start to just, you know, thoughtfully and intentionally figure out the next move instead of just jumping to one thing to the next because you have to survive. I, I can't agree more with you. I think that that period of, of deep self-reflection and really getting clear with yourself on, on you know, what are you good at? Um, yeah. How can you add value? Where do you want to grow? You know, those kinds of big questions take time to battle with. And um, I think at, at every major Point of transition it's an important kind of exercise that um that i i try to do for myself and when i haven't done it things have gone terribly wrong well it's the same thing as you know when you're dating and you keep breaking up with people but you don't stop to think why you mm -hmm. just keep going after the same person and then until you really reflect and you're like oh this is the actual problem or this is what really matters to me it's the same in your career you know if you're not reflecting and and really asking yourself the hard questions of, well, why am I continuously unhappy? Or in every role that I've had, what's been my favorite part? Like, what's the thing that really lights me up and gets me going every morning? Because those are the things you just start to use as data points so that when you find your next job, you can apply them. And then over time, you just get closer and closer and closer to something that you actually really love. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, guys. We're done here. <laughs> That's, that's the whole secret. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid though. It's pretty true. And I mean, yeah. honestly, like that's the whole philosophy behind the one year career is continuously on a yearly basis, minimum checking in with yourself and taking stock of what's working and what isn't working. And then yeah. slowly, but surely, you know, figuring out where you want to go next and, and how you need to get there. But we complicate this process as human beings so much because we like, look for purpose or passion or meaning. And those words don't actually mean anything, right? So we're like yeah. searching for this thing that is intangible yeah. and wondering why we're not finding it. And it's like, no, those are almost verbs. Like that's how you go about your job, mm -hmm. passionately, purposefully, yeah. you know? not like looking for that golden egg somewhere that doesn't exist. That's just procrastination towards never finding a job or a career or a life that you're happy with. Absolutely. It's, it's because it's so contextual, right? Like all of those things only kind of make sense or make sense to you when there's context around it. Right. Yeah, yeah. They're just pie in the sky concepts until you actually see it in action and you can't see it in action unless you're trying things. Yep. Okay. So you have all these coffees. Nobody wants you because you're the wrong kind of engineer. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, how do I like break into this world when there just seems to be like no, no way in. And then, um, it was at some event and I met this guy and he was talking about like how he was about to embark on teaching this three month course where you could learn how to code. And I thought to myself, well, I don't know if I really want to learn how to code, but you know, that'll get me in. That'll kind of, you know, transition me into the industry. If I, if I can at least be code literate, um, people will talk to me and I can have more intelligent conversations and you know, things will kind of evolve from there. I knew it was not the, end game it was the means to the end which it was a step towards right. what you thought the end game could be yeah and this was you know very very early days of, of ga um and so i i kind of showed up to this <laughs> this very shady garage type situation <laughs> and um 
you know, by all means, it looks skeptical from the outside. But the minute I walked inside, I met all these really interesting people. And I was like, wow, whatever's going on here is really cool. There's a bunch of very smart people uh, trying to transition. And there are other people that have kind of learned this whole thing and are figuring out how to teach it to other people in, in an, an accelerated format. Uh, this is all kind of making sense to me. And so I, I went home and, and I, I talked to my wife and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to jump into this thing. And she's like, do you really know what you're doing? Like, this whole thing is not adding up. It kind of sounds a little weird and shady, but whatever, if it makes you happy, go for it. And so I basically quit my job the next day and uh, didn't give the two weeks notice or anything. Just I was like, I'm done here. Gotta go. Uh, gotta go. And jumped into the class Monday morning. Uh, so I literally had a weekend and then Monday morning I jumped into, into this three month long coding bootcamp that was, uh, you know, WDI, web development course. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, that's kind of GA's capstone, like prized course is web development immersive, which is three months, Monday through Friday, nine to five, except longer, really, where it essentially yeah. can take anybody off the street and give them the basic fundamentals of how to code and do, you know, software engineering, which is pretty incredible. Yep. And so I embarked on that journey and by Thursday, like my eyes were bleeding. I was like, I cannot, I cannot see myself behind the black box, you know, for 14 hours a day. I need to interact with humans. So, so four, like, four days into the program. Four days into the program. I was like, I don't think this is, this is working for me. And I quit. Um, so you can imagine like how this is all unfolding, right? I took a big risk, kind of left a super stable career, launched into this thing on blind faith. The program was great. It was actually really great. And I feel like I learned a lot in four days, but um, by day four, I was like, this is just not for me. And uh, if I'm going to make this big pivot, it needs to be something that I'm really excited about working on. Um, and so um, I started with the class on Monday, on Thursday I quit. This was like the first WDI in San Francisco. And so the team was like really wondering what they did wrong. And I was like, no, no, you guys are all good. This is me. I just didn't kind of really think about what I was getting into. And they tried to like, you know, make it right and so on and so forth. And I was like, no guys, like it's over. I got to pull out. Um, and then I went home that night. I, you know, I felt crushed. I'd just taken a big risk and things didn't work out. And I had, you know, given up you know, stability and uh, I had nothing to wake up to on Friday morning. And I was it's like, a terrifying yeah, it's a terrifying deal. And, you know, living in San Francisco, it's really expensive. I'm like, how am I going to figure this out? And so I, you know, I was, I took a long bike ride and I thought about it and I thought about it. And I was like, well, whatever was happening there was really cool. The, you know, the subject wasn't the right one for me, but whatever was happening in that room was incredibly powerful. And I wanted to be a part of it. And so I just showed up the next day. I showed up, I quit the class Thursday night. I showed up on Friday morning and I just hung out. And, um, you know, the team there was like, what are you doing, dude? Like, you just, you cost us a lot of money. You just quit the class. Um, why are you here? Can you, you leave? leave? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know, this, you guys are doing something cool. Let me help out. Like, let me just, I'll, I'll do stuff and, you know, you're a small team, you could just use an extra pair of hands, I'll fill the coffee, take out the trash, entertain the students, like, don't worry about it. And I just stayed. And, and you know, after a while, they just were like, okay, whatever, this guy's kind of weird, and like, we don't really know how to deal with this situation. So um, 
I just kind of hung out and made friends with, with the team there and started like, you know, just doing stuff, just, you know, literally like refilling the coffee and moving chairs and doing that kind of stuff. And were they, uh, were they like offering to pay you at this point at all? Oh no, absolutely not. I made that very clear that I was just going to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't imagine because this, you know, I worked at the General Assembly in Los Angeles and we had randos all the time that would just hang out. That oh, we yeah. had, like asked to leave. <laughs> and so it's just funny that like this worked out for you. Whereas in the past I've had to literally be like, hi, so I know you were once taking the course, but you aren't anymore. <laughs> we can't have you here. Please go. <laughs> yeah. I was definitely one of those people. That's amazing. Uh, what was your end game? What did you think? You were like, this is, I want to be part of this. I don't care in what capacity. Yeah, I, I didn't have an end game. I just knew that there was enough interesting stuff going on and, and, you know, a lot of interesting people, you know, in the evenings, there were all the events and workshops and there'd be anything from like a big name VC to, you know, somebody that had honed their craft in a certain tech field. And I was like, if I just hang out here long enough, I'm going to learn a lot and I'm going to meet interesting people. Something cool is going to happen. So I just need to figure out how I can add enough value so I don't get kicked out. Right. And so, you know, I just started picking up things and, and, and doing menial chores and then started kind of finding ways in which I could add value and, and then started to like, you know, nudge some suggestions here and there and be like, hey, you know, maybe if we try this, maybe we might get a few more students. Or, you know, there's like, this course isn't doing so great. Let me try filling these seats. And I would start to like try these experiments out. And the thing is, it was like super low risk to everyone, right? Like if the experiment failed, no one lost anything. Those seats were going to go empty anyway. If the experiment actually took off, then I added a lot of value. And I mean, uh, this sounds like a very similar situation to when you were going on those sales calls yeah. as an engineer. You were like, listen, this is only going to help you. So just go with it. Yeah. And so maybe this is partially your superpower. You're like, guys, guys, don't worry about me. Just like, let me help. And we'll see yeah. what happens. And they're like, okay, you weirdo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you kind of have to find like the situations that are suboptimal where like, if anything happens, it's you're going to add a lot of value. And if, if things blow up, nobody cares. Right. Smart. And so, yeah, I kind of just started doing these experiments and incrementally started like figuring things out. And a couple of months later, um, you know, I was starting to really add a lot of value. And I, I put together this event that uh, helped kind of bridge this interesting gap that I saw in the market where, you know, there was a lot of companies that had learning and development budgets. And uh, there were a lot of people that wanted to pick up these skills. And so if we could figure out how, how to market to the companies, then they could kind of send people over to GA and tap into existing budgets. So it seemed like kind of a win-win all around. And so we tried that out and you know, something clicked there. And eventually the team was like, all right, you've been here for a really long time. And do you like want to join the team? Should we like start paying you now? And I was like, that would be a nice thing. Thank you. Wait, how, so you went a few months? Several months, yeah. Seven? Oh. No, no, not several. seven. I don't know. Oh, okay. was, I can't remember how many. It was like at least three or four months. And unpaid. What was your wife saying this whole time? Oh, she thought I was like, I'd gone off the deep end. Were you already married at this point? Yeah, yeah. We were okay, so you had, you had locked <laughs> it in. So she couldn't get rid of you. That was smart. That was smart on your behalf. If I, if I were her, I'd be like, yo, they don't want you. You keep showing up and they're not paying you. Then I hate you, weirdo. 
<laughs> oh man, I'm sure she was saying some of those things. So you're like, no, no, just trust me. Some, some version of that. And I was like, I don't know where this is going, but I'll figure it out. And yeah, and that kind of, you know, got me onto the early team. Um, and kind of the rest of it was a wild and crazy ride. As yeah, you so, so were you, did you come onto the team in admissions? Uh, I helped start the admissions function. Okay, which and those for those of you listening, the admissions team at General Assembly is essentially sales. You're selling the course to people, mostly dealing with inbound leads that are excited about you know the idea of GA, and then you have to close them, and they become students. And yeah, so fast forward. Let's see, when did you officially get that job? Do you remember? Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> it, all, it all blends together. So I imagine, you know, towards the end of 2013, yeah. I guess, because I yeah. came on board in January, February of 2014, and I had my first interview with Danush, <laughs> and a friend of mine, John, who is still at General Assembly, he's like the oldest of OGs now, yeah. um, he was working under Danush, he was in sales admissions, and he said, Bailey, you're going to love this company, come in for an interview, you need to work here, you're going to be all about it. And I kind of fought him because I was like, no, I'm kind of doing my own thing right now. I was not doing my own thing. I was like waiting tables and bartending. <laughs> but I had this idea for a side project that I was starting to get off the ground. And he was like, oh, fine, but just come in and talk to these people. So I had an interview for an admissions role with Danush. And, you know, I'm not a salesperson. I have never claimed to be a salesperson. <laughs> I don't want to be a salesperson. And this was essentially a sales role. And I did not get the job. And I remember Danush telling me, like, you sold me like 20 minutes ago, but you kept talking. <laughs> talked me out of the sale. You need to stop talking. And I'm like, yeah, that's never going to happen. So this isn't going to work out. Okay, fine. No big deal. And, uh, and I remember being like, oh, well, didn't get the job. That's lame, whatever. Um, and then they called me back in for a different role, which was way better suited to me. And, and I was the first person at General Assembly to have this campus marketing producer role. Um, and it was such a good fit and really was, for me, the turning point in my entire career without question. But I love to give Danush shit for not hiring me the first time when he had the chance. <laughs> I, I will caveat this with saying I helped create that role and get you into General Assembly because I knew you were the right person for the job. But again, it was one of those situations where it was only after meeting, meeting with you and, and kind of really understanding who you are and what kind of value you could add to our team and then understanding kind of the, the problems we were facing, we could craft something that was unique. Um, and you know, you didn't, there was no competition. You got the job because there was no one else. Which, by the way, you guys, that's an incredible, that's an incredible point to note. Yeah. You know, don't assume that the only jobs available are ones listed on a job board. Usually by the time they make it to a job board, they're already kind of given away anyway. And that's just for, you know, publicity's sake. Um, but I've had multiple people come to my workshops and tell me that they created a role for themselves. You did too, created a role for themselves at a company that they admired because they showed potential and they were very clear on what they could bring to the table as a teammate. And for people that are out there wanting to transition into a new role or a new industry, it's so important to get clear with yourself on what it is that you bring to the table. And no, no matter what role you have, like what is your superpower, you know, what's your through line in all of the roles you've ever had. And for me, like collaboration is at the top and I make friends 
like for a living. That's like <laughs> what I do. And so literally when they, when they pitched this new role to me, they were like, we need somebody to, to be there to pass out the Kool-Aid and get people to ask for seconds. And I was like, yeah, I can totally do that. That is my jam. <laughs> and for, you know, th that's what I did for nearly two years there and had arguably the most fun I've ever had in any company ever, both before and since. And Danush was a big part of that. And our team was incredible. And you know, talking about the sales team and how they just have all the fun. I fully buy that because I became <laughs> very good friends with the admissions crew and was sort of a, a faux honorary member. And you're definitely an honorary member. Yeah, I without having to be good at sales, thank God. I just got to hang out and like laugh with them and, and watch them hit these crazy targets and be forever impressed that they could get on a phone with a stranger and get them to give them, you know, ten, eleven thousand dollars of their dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a really, really fun time. And, you know, I think to your point, the best jobs are the ones that you help write the job description. Those just by default tend to be the best, most exciting opportunities because you get to really define what you get to work on and you get to define your success. And I think that's an important part of kind of crafting your own career path is finding those golden opportunities where you can do those things. And when I think about how those, it's, it, it's very counterintuitive, right? Like when most people that I talk to, when they're out looking for a new job, they're looking at job postings, they're trying to fit their experience into right. this narrow box. But, you know, we're three dimensional humans and, um, you know, your job title is one piece of that. Um, and I think when you craft a role, you really get to bring your whole self into it. Um, and when I think about how to do that, one of the things that comes to mind is thinking about the split between what are you really good at and you can walk in the door and add value immediately. Mm -hmm. And then where do you want to grow and stretch? And there has to be like a good balance between the two because basically the whole job searching process is pretty broken, right? It's kind it's of post-industrial era, like how can we fit this bag into this whole type thing? And that's just not how work happens anymore. And so, you know, when you think about how to, how to go about crafting your, your own path, um, it's really important to be able to identify like, what is, people are gonna hire you based on your past success. That's just the sad reality of what it is. But right. you wanna get into a job where you can, where you can grow and learn and, and, and add new skills to your skill set. So, so you kinda of have to figure out how to balance the two. And, and I think it's also really important as you're thinking about how to craft the role that you not only demonstrate the value that you're gonna bring right away, uh, figure out a way to tangibly show it, show the ROI, and then have a plan for what is it that you want to grow into and how you're going to do that. Because if you're just like, okay, well, you know, I want to grow into management, but you don't actually have a path to doing that, you're going to fail. Right. Yeah, no, you said so many important points there. And I think crafting your own career trajectory is hard work. It's not something that just happens. It's, it's not without a lot of effort, but it's always worth it. You know, when you, when you can do what Danush and I have both done, which is find yourself in a role that was either created for you or by you, that it's unlike anything else because you are helping to set the tone 
um, in the early days of GA where we didn't have, you know, data to go off of for, for goals and for KPIs, key performance indicators, we were just making them up based on what we thought we could do. And that's such a different experience than walking into a role that, you know, 10, 20, 30 people have had before you and having to fit yourself in and perform your job the way that they've performed it which is what happens. You set the tone. And not everybody's going to find themselves lucky enough in that position to like create a, a job for themselves. However, to Danish's point, figuring out you know, where you've been, so what are all the things you've done, the experiences you've gained, to the lessons you've learned, the education you've received, the people that you've connected with, the industries you've been a part of. Like I call that your professional bag of tricks. Like What's all in your professional bag of tricks that you can bring to any team you go to, plus what's next? You know, what are you trying to move into? And to your point, like finding a good, good balance between doing the job you were hired to do while still stretching into this potential new space, that's where people feel in the flow. And that's where people feel really fulfilled because it's growth and you can feel it. And when you know that you're going to leave a company better than you were when you showed up, that's, that's the jam. Like that's what everybody wants. And that's technically, I think, really what professional fulfillment actually is. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I think a key part of this whole thing though, when you're crafting your own career path is you also need to know how to negotiate um, a job offer. Because right. if, you know, if you're gonna craft a job offer, it's not something that you know has been predetermined by HR with a price tag attached to it. You're going to have to figure that piece of it out as well, or help your company figure that out. And so, you know, that is a whole lot unto itself as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, when there's no baseline for you, you have to mm -hmm. kind of bring. You almost have to to pull together a combination of all the different functions that you want this role to be, and be like, okay, well this kind of job is this sort of salary range. There's a little bit of this involved. And, you know, I think this is one of the, one of the very good benefits of working at a startup is generally the people that are there that are there in the beginning when this kind of opportunity exists are ones that are like, okay, sure. Yep. Let's do that. Let's, let's try it out. Let's, let's give it a shot. And everybody's kind of figuring things out as they go. And so, you know, there's of course the next step, right? You get in, you get this role, now you really need to own it and you need to prove yourself and, and being able to, and I think this is where like having an entrepreneurial spirit really comes in handy because entrepreneurs within a company typically are called intrapreneurs. And those are the people that tend to craft their own careers inside of a company. Those are the people like us who are like, okay, well, listen, I can bring this to the table. It seems like you guys are missing this. Like, what if we did this? And you really create this reality for yourself and then continuously look for new ways to keep doing that. Like I had three different job titles when I was there for less than two years. I was there for 20 months, three different jobs. All three didn't exist prior to me taking them. And it was because we were lucky enough in that phase of GA's um, evolution to be like, hey, I see a hole over here. I would really like to fill it. I think I can bring this to the table. Like, can I experiment with this? And they were great at being like, yeah, go for it. Just don't screw it up. It's like, okay, I can do that. And then, you know, as happens with most companies when they're growing, you get to a point where that kind of um, employee is <laughs> no longer really a great employee because you're trying to scale and make sure everybody's doing the specific job they were hired for. So 
coloring inside the lines is uh, a better situation than these innovative, crazy people. But that's when people like us move on to the next thing. And so yeah. tell us, what was next after GA? So yeah, after GA, I, I joined IDOU and that was another really fun and exciting adventure. Um, you know, I had heard of IDEO, you know, just being in San Francisco, I kind of heard of IDEO, but it always kind of seemed like this crazy idea factory and seemed like this, you know, amazing place to work, but I wasn't a designer and didn't really see a path to like, how can I work there? And then I also got to know a lot about IDEO through GA because, uh, you know, a lot of GA's brand and presence and spaces were all designed by ex-IDEOers. And so uh, I started to really understand the value and importance of human-centered design and I just got really curious about that whole space and so I started to explore it and talk to people and learn more about it and uh, I actually participated in a design research session that IDEO was doing. Um, this is a core part of how IDEO works is they go out into the field and they look at people that are doing interesting things and they learn from them and they kind of extrapolate lessons out across different industries and so there was a team that came out and talked to uh, talked to me and kind of were like trying to trying to understand how GA came to be, um, and so through that process, I was like, "Wow, this is really cool! I want to get more involved in this." Uh, and I started to you know poke around and get connected to other folks that were working there. So just start to learn about the place and how it works and who they look for. Um, and just through this process of exploration, I got connected to. Um, one of the partners who was starting up IDOU in the early, early days of IDOU. And we just, you know, got introduced, we sat down and I just shared lessons learned from, you know, early days of, of building GA. And, you know, we, we formed a connection and it was again, just sharing lessons learned and kind of helping them think through ways in which they can prevent some of the things that we learned as hard lessons and make different mistakes. And that, um, that was a great relationship. And, um, at the point when, so I decided to leave GA when uh, we had a baby coming and uh, I just couldn't work the crazy hours and do the crazy travel. I needed to kind of just be home and, and centered for a little bit. Um, and so it was time to kind of move on from the startup life and, uh, you know, find another interesting, fun project to work on. And so, you know, I called the IDOU team and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm leaving and what you guys are doing is super exciting. I'd love to come help you. And I think this is how I can help you. Do you need uh, your coffee refilled and your garbage <laughs> taken out? Because I know a guy. <laughs> I, fortunately, I moved my way up from there a little bit. Um, and so they were like, yeah, we had a great conversation, but like right now we're still very much in the early stages of building the product and, you know, timing just isn't right. I was like, cool. I went off and became a dad and did that thing for a little bit. And um, a couple of months later, actually not that, that long after, I got reconnected to the team and they were like, oh yeah, we actually now need someone like you to kind of help build out our B2B business. And so again, a few conversations later, uh, I joined the IDOU team and that was a fun, fun uh, ride as well. Yeah, I mean, you have commonalities in all of these situations. It's you build a relationship, you try and add value, and you, you know, you kind of play the waiting game, which is really hard for impatient, ambitious people to do. But man, if you can do it, it almost always pays off. Because when you're, when you're able to reach out to a company that you admire, that you're curious about or interested in, 
and put yourself on the table as an opportunity, you know, to hire, of course, the likelihood of them that day being like, okay, is pretty low. But over time, you know, you, you kind of put yourself in the back of their brains and you allow them to think of you when there's an opportunity and then they come to you and are like, hey, remember that time? Are you still interested? So that's such a great way to go about it. And it does require you to be patient and yeah. not be, um, I always say like in terms of how dire your work situation is to get out of it, is your air conditioning broken or is your house fully engulfed in flames, right? And like you want to, of course, like be towards the broken air conditioner side of the scale when you're starting to put these feelers out there so that it's not an emergency and you don't need a new job right then and there. You yeah. can be patient. Absolutely. And I, I, would, I would even go as far as to say this is a never-ending process, right? It is. Um, it's just a never-ending process. Just because you found something and you're working on something doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you're going to shut the doors on curiosity and connecting with people and, uh, you know, just being interested in what else is out there. Uh, I, I think it's less about constantly looking for the next best thing. I don't think that's what it is. I think what it is, is it's, it's about kind of fueling a, a general curiosity. Like for example, right now, I'm really curious about the whole uh, autonomous vehicle, self-driving thing that's about to be, you know, that's about to come at us like a tidal wave and change. Everything. Everything. And um, I'm not necessarily looking for a job in that space. I'm just curious to understand how it works and meet with, interesting people who can help me broaden my understanding of what's happening. Um, and that's kind of, you know, it may not lead to anything and I'm perfectly okay with that. But that's, I mean, you're completely right. This is a never ending process of growing your community, nurturing the people and the relationships in your community, being curious. I swear curiosity, I think is the number one best predictor of career happiness. You know, if you follow the things that you're curious about, that you're just interested in, that will inevitably lead you to something that won't feel like work. Like the big three pillars of the career experiment, the first online course I did was align your strengths to a role. When you said that, like, what can you show up today and provide value in? Align your passions or your interests to an industry. What are you curious about? Where are they doing that? What companies are supporting that topic? and aligning your core motivators to a company culture. And if you can get those three pieces right, you'll end up in a job that you are so passionate about because you care and you're good at it and you're getting scratched the way that you wanna get scratched, you know? Like that's the key. It's almost never that Absolutely. simple. But if you can get it, <laughs> even two of the three, pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. And so for this newest role, obviously you've moved on from IDOU, you found yourself in another kind of similar role, but different, well, kind of not crazy different industry. This was more of kind of a lateral like shift, right? Uh, kind of. Yeah. It's hard to define these things. It's so fluid. You're right. It's also amorphic and who knows, it's a new situation. It's a new situation. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, the way I've, I found myself into, into this situation was, uh, it just happened over a simple coffee conversation. So, um, I known of explained from, um, from days of general assembly and they were kind of spinning up this workshop that they were running at GA to talk about visual thinking and talk about how, um, you know, using 
pictures to explain concepts that are really complicated um, can help bring alignment together quickly. Mm. And so I remember kind of talking to the folks that were running the workshop and, and being in the workshop and thinking, wow, this is really cool. What these guys are doing is super interesting. And so I kind of, you know, just followed what they were doing and um, kind of just kept in touch in loose ways. And then, you know, one thing led to another and, um, you know, the CEO was in town and just wanted to kind of be inspired and meet interesting people in, in San Francisco. And he reached out to me and I said, sure, let, let's, let's get a coffee. And uh, we just started noodling on, you know, something he was trying to figure out. And, you know, we just started sketching a few ideas and concepts and exploring things. And uh, a couple of weeks later, he called, he called me and said, hey, you know, would you be interested in, in joining the team uh, and kind of helping us build this up? Um, and I was like, okay, I wasn't really thinking about that, but sure, let's explore it. And, you know, that's kind of just how it went from there. Have you ever applied for a job in your life? Uh, I applied for one, maybe two jobs, both of which ended tragically. So it didn't really work out for me. Right. I think that's an important thing to note because that's the tactic that most people use is just applying to jobs on job boards and hoping for the best. But Oh, I would say that is absolutely the worst thing you can do. A hundred percent. It's not, it's a losing battle. It's a lose-lose situation. Um, actually, probably right after I kind of joined GA, I, I made a commitment to myself that I was never going to apply for another job again. Period. I was just never going to put my resume into the, you know, the job posting on a website because it's a black hole. Uh, and, you know, being on, being on the other side of the table, having hired a bunch of people as well, uh, you know, here's how it goes. You first kind of have a sense of what the job is and you write something up and you put it out there. Um, and the first people you go to are people within your own network. Mm-hmm. And if something comes up through that, those, those are the people that kind of reach the top of the, of the list. Uh, then you kind of expand beyond that to like the network of the company and you know other companies that you're a part of, and if something comes through that, that's kind of the next next year. Then you go to the recruiters and say, "Go find me someone that kind of sort of fits this job description," and then you look at the pile of you know whatever 500 resumes that came into the website, 99% of which are jobs. So by the time you you know by the time as a hiring manager by the time I kind of actually bothered to go through all those resumes that are coming through the website like I found nobody to fit this so right it's, it's a not a about situation yeah no yeah. It, it, and you know the hidden job market we talk about a lot with guests on the show because what is it it's like 70 or 80 percent of people who have jobs found them through a referral or through their network and you know, there's all kinds of crazy stats about how much more likely you are to get the role if you are referred versus you come in from the outside. No question about that. And honestly, the job application process is demoralizing. It's an ego crush. It's it's rough. It's so rough. And when you're doing that, you know, any job I've ever gotten in that way has always been a bad fit. The culture fit's been wrong. I've been wrong for the job. And when you have somebody on your side kind of pointing you in the right direction of roles that they've heard about or companies that they just think are great, like John, who got me into GA, he knew me and he knew what I was interested in. He knew what I was good at. So he could essentially do the hard part for me, which was vet GA for me on my behalf. 
He already knew it was a good fit. I just needed to come through and go through the process and make sure that it was actually correct. And any job I've gotten that way has been infinitely better than the other direction. For sure. And the other thing is you're, you know, when you're applying for jobs, you know, through the traditional process, you're competing in a really intense environment. Uh, you know, if you're trying to get a job at a startup in San Francisco today, I mean, you're competing against the top like one to three percent of people in the world. Uh, that's that's a really hard thing. No matter how good you are, like that's just a hard place to compete in. The numbers are just not for you. Yeah, like, the whole process is stacked against you. It is, and so if you take anything away from this conversation, be it that leveraging the people and the relationships in your community to help them help you find roles. And then don't be afraid to reach out to companies that maybe you love, that you're a customer of, or that you're just curious about what they're up to and excited about it and put yourself out there, you know, know intimately what it is that you can offer and, you know, how you can solve a problem of theirs. Like that's what you're looking for when you're reaching out to a hiring manager or really anybody at a company is I've got, a, I've got something that can solve the problem that maybe you don't even know you have. You know, that's yeah. the best case. Scenario. That's the best case. When yeah. they're like, oh, shoot, you pointed out something we didn't even see and you're providing yourself as the solution. Yeah, let's get the money together. Let's find it in the budget to bring you on board. By the way, what do you want your job to be? Like best case scenario. It is doable, you guys, I promise. It is doable. It, it definitely isn't the norm, but it is. Uh, but maybe it should be. It should be, yeah. Honestly, I think from a hiring manager's perspective and a, an employee's perspective, it's the best case scenario. You know, you always want to hire somebody that's been vetted and referred to you by somebody you trust, right? And so even just starting there, like when you're looking for a job, let the people around you know what it is that you're on the hunt for. And even if you don't quite know, give them enough clues to use to help keep an eye out for you. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out and, you know, sing the praises of, of a company that you're, you would just love to have a role in. Like, I think it's great to look at job boards and everything just to get a general sense of the kind of people they're trying to attract. Cause yeah. they'll usually say like looking for somebody who's a this, that, and the other who, you know, and then they list the qualifications, but you can get a sense for the company's vibe and culture. And if you feel like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm great for this. Like I will fit in well there. They'll be able to pick that up too. If you reach out and offer genuine, like, you know, praise for the company and just offer yourself up. So don't be afraid. Yeah. It's gotten both uh, of us great jobs. It definitely has. And I think another thing I would also add to that is like, let's say, you know, you are in a situation where you're interested in, in working at a certain company, but you don't have a direct inroad into there. So. Call the person you think is going to be the hiring manager. Right. Talk to them on LinkedIn, whatever. Figure out a way to get in touch with them and, and, and lead with, with some value. You know, lead with like, hey, I think this is something that I've, I've seen you guys have been working on or this is a gap that I'm seeing that I don't know if you're aware of, but like, here's how I would approach it and, and show your thinking. And I think, you know, think of it as like, you're adding value and you don't, not really expecting anything back. Mm -hmm. And those are the kinds of things that just open the door to an actual authentic conversation. Um, and now you've skipped over kind of, you know, talking to the recent college grad who's going through 500 resumes and, and, you know, like you just didn't say the one right thing so you don't go to the next round of the interview. 
I mean, yeah, it's, it's just getting a hold of the right person and immediately showing value and showing that you know something about the company. You can't just go in blind being like, Hey, so I think you do this. Like what drives me crazy is on LinkedIn. People will often send me who I don't, people I don't know will send me messages being like, Hey, I see your career coach. I'd love to help you do this. And I'm like, actually, it definitely doesn't say career coach anywhere on my LinkedIn profile. Cause I am not a career coach. You didn't even read this. Did you? And yeah. immediately I hate this person. And yeah, it's just insulting right? when, when you do that. It's just insulting. It is. It's insulting and it's a waste of their time. Yeah. And that's the quickest way to also never get into a place is if you immediately annoy or offend that person. So just lead with, you know, what you can provide, show that you know something about the company, that you're invested in the success of the company and let them know how you can support it. And you know what? Maybe it won't turn into something. Maybe they'll kind of keep you in the back of their mind next time there's any role open, or maybe they know somebody else who's hiring. Cause let me tell you, hiring managers, they're all friends because they all yeah. share contacts. They all want to help each other get the right employees. So yeah. get in right with somebody like that and really show your value. They're going to spread the word to other people who could potentially hire you right now. Absolutely. Well, Danush, I'm forever impressed by you, even though you, and I am by you, even though you didn't give me the job, you helped make a new one, which was way better. Um, and you know, Danush and I are fantastic examples of people who have kind of stayed tethered to one another. And, you know, as we both move throughout our career, like, the other one's no more than five feet, you know, away. And that's something very, very important that I, I encourage you to keep in mind is former coworkers, colleagues, people you went to school with, people who've hired you or managed you or vice versa. Don't let those people go. Keep them in your scope because those are the people throughout your career that will help support you along the way and be your career collaborators. Plus, it's just fun to have people that have known you for a while who can help you see how far you've come and be proud of you and vice versa. It's so rewarding to be like, look at you go. <laughs> it really is. You should definitely have a lot of Baileys in your life. <laughs> I, I concur. You should have lots of Danushes. Plus, they're really fun drinking buddies. So, both of those people, Bailey and yeah. Danushes, they're great at a party. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your crafty wisdom. This was thank fantastic. You, and I'm excited to see the 25 jobs you have in the next 10 years. Me too. <laughs> Same. All right, guys. All see right. you next time. See ya.